we're talking about boredom in learning, which sounds like we're going to be down on it. But we're really actually a little bullish on boredom for learning. Why? You'll have to stay and listen to this episode of the Learning Geeks podcast starting now. In the immortal words of uh, Jar Jar Binks, hello, boyos. (laughs) Hey, guys. I'm not sure how to respond to that one. (laughs) Speaking of Jar Jar Binks, Ahmed Best, who played him, super huge spike in popularity. He is playing the MC slash Jedi hero of Jedi Temple Challenge, which is a kid's game show on YouTube right now that is inspired by shows from like Nickelodeon Guts and Legends of the Hidden Temple and all that. So Jake, <laughs> if you're not watching these with the girls, I, I weep for you in your future. I was going to say, I will have to watch them because I'm not, but they will be interested, I'm sure. It's funny that Bob said this is going to be an episode on boredom and he starts with the Star with Wars stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we'll get into the boredom. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. In, you know, in other Star Wars news, The Last Jedi has been trending over the last couple of days in social media and the tone of it seems to be, Oh, the last Jedi isn't as bad as we thought it was. Oh yeah. Finally. That's kind of how most, most of those movies that are under, are underappreciated when they, they come out usually takes a couple years. Like, Oh yeah, it was pretty good. Um, Rogue one, for example, when I first watched it, I think I had maybe higher expectations or maybe it was low. I don't even know. I had whatever expectations I had. I, I, I went in, and I was like, yeah, it's good. It's good. And now it's one of my favorites. Right? I love, I love it. it. I think it yeah. has the best battle scene in any of the Star Wars episodes. It does. Well, I, I know that if if people had been active Star Wars fans when The Empire Strikes Back was released, like I was, and if the internet had been a thing back then, it would have been nothing but whining and moaning about how oh, bad sure. The Empire Strikes Back was. I'm sure. And cool. now it's one of the favorites. Yeah. If not the favorite. Yeah. But. So are you guys bored yet by listening to our conversation? That was just a primer. Some people are. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's okay. Well, let's dive into it. So I'll tee up the conversation about boredom. And it actually starts with a conversation about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so here's my story with that. When I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was in eighth grade. So this would have been 1980. Yeah, 1980. And it was when it was just starting to surge in popularity. And my sister's friends played it. They were quite a bit older than me, but they invited me to play along and captured my imagination. And so I brought it to my friends. And I'll tell you what, for an entire year, we played Dungeons and Dragons every Friday after school. We would rotate houses. We would all take that person's bus to their house after school Uh, We would probably start about 3.30 at night and we would play all the way through till 11 o'clock at night, only stopping for the pizza to be delivered that we had ordered and to inhale it. I mean, you want to talk about a feeding frenzy, put a bunch of eighth grade boys around a pizza. Uh, But, you know, it was like the, the hours would just vanish. We just completely got immersed, became our characters. We lived those stories. It was amazing. Um, And then you know, Dungeons and Dragons faded in popularity. A couple of the people in in our group had to quit because their parents made them because that was back in the satanic panic days. 
Um, and it kind of faded away, but it was replaced by online games. So first you had text-based computer adventure games that were engaging and exciting. And then you started getting ones with graphics and it eventually ramped up to the point where you have something like world of Warcraft is today and has been for the last 15 years, I think is, is the age of world of Warcraft. And what I find for myself is now that Dungeons and Dragons is having a huge resurgence, which our listeners might not know, but it's true. It, it is more popular now than it ever, ever has been. Uh, I have gotten back into it a little bit and I've played a little bit. In fact, I'm starting a new campaign, an online campaign with some friends tomorrow night. But I find that it does not quite capture my attention like it used to when I was in eighth grade. Um, it, it, it's not quite as much fun. I am not as immersed in the experience as I was in eighth grade. And I think that it was the online gaming, the computer gaming that kind of spoiled me, right? Where in eighth grade, we had no other alternative. If we wanted to pretend to be a half elf mage fighting their way through a dungeon, the only way we could do it is by playing Dungeons and Dragons and using our imagination and rolling dice and some set of rules. Now, if I want to have an experience like that, I don't really need to engage my brain that much. I just need to turn on a video game and play it. And I don't have to, to work as hard. But overall, I'm not as engaged. It's not quite as exciting. And I don't think that my imagination is sparking. I don't think that I am quite as creative coming out of a session of playing World of Warcraft as I am coming out of a session of Dungeons and Dragons when I was in eighth grade. So that's kind of the setup. Now enter me yesterday watching TED videos before work starts with my mug of coffee. And I saw a video by, I'm going to make sure I get her name right. Uh, it is Manush uh, Zamarodi. Manush Zamarodi. Uh, an NPR host. She's now the host of the of the TED Radio Hour podcast. But she had a TED Talk out there and it was called Bored and Brilliant. And her theory that she espouses in this is that boredom is a good thing. Boredom is what your brain needs to shut off the input and process whatever is in there. And that your most creative ideas come out of that experience. She cites the idea of why do you get your best idea in the showers? Because a shower is inherently a dull, repetitive, uh, habitual thing. Your brain has nothing to do but to think of new and creative ideas because it's bored. And... So she had, and this is kind of the, the basis of the book, which I, I bought the book. I haven't completely read it yet. She bought a, uh, or she, she launched a challenge with her listeners of basically trying to do a bit of a digital detox, right? Like getting rid of the constant addiction to the phone and the screen and the technology to intentionally create states of boredom to see what came out of that, what came out of that boredom. And I am intrigued by this idea for learning because I feel like when I design learning experiences, 
I am all about how do we make it exciting? How do we keep people engaged? How are we always stimulating their brain? And, you know, we know from our durable learning principles that having spaced learning is a good thing to give the neurons time to reform and all that. But, um, but I don't create quite as much white space as I think that I could. So that's kind of the moral of the story. For me, I'm like, hey, I am getting way too much easy to get information and stimulation. It's all coming in from my phone. It's all coming in from the internet. You know, I get bored in five seconds if I don't have my phone to look at. But what would it look like if I didn't do that? And I kind of went back to eighth grade me who had no, no other choice but to use my own imagination to get stimulated. So I throw that out there for you guys to expound upon. So one thing that comes to my mind, Bob, is the eighth grade brain is very different than the adult brain. So I also wonder okay, if there's fair. some, I think there's uh, some element of the the fact that when you're, uh, uh, you know, eighth grade or, or high school, there's still a lot of brain development that's taking place. And there's certain aspects of the brain that are, more easily triggered. And I think some of that creativity has, they used to say, you know, it, it hasn't been beaten out of you beaten yet, out of you, if yeah, you will, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So I think, I think there's probably some element of that. But I also, you know, as you're talking, I was reflecting on how during my morning three miles each day, uh, there are a lot of times when I will just take out my, uh, my headphones or take out my ear pods and, and just listen to the environment around me. And, and it's amazing what you hear, because it's not just the, um, you know, the trees and, and the birds, and there, there are thoughts that flow through your head. And I think not necessarily boredom, but just uh, a uh, different sensitivities that you have when you, when you make that space. So, um, and I've had lots of inspirational moments when I've just dropped the headphones and said, all right, I just need to to be detached, if you will. So a couple interesting things out of this. Um, it's funny. So a couple years ago, I did some research in this area and then I've been going back to it. And in front of me, I actually have a, a, uh, a large book. I know you guys can see this, but I have this large, <laughs> thick, thick, giant book. That's a Cambridge handbook of creativity. And so I, I had it in my, my shelf and I've looked at it a little bit and I thought, you know, this is a perfect time to, look into it more closely, especially around this topic. And I kind of looked into my past research as well. And one thing that comes came out of it was the default network. So within our within our brains, the default network, what that really does, it allows us to envision, imagine the future, imagine you in a different place. You can almost like time travel basically, or you can do different things. That's usually when the mind wandering starts. When that is activated is when your more of your executive tasks functions are shut off. Mm-hmm. So if you think about you most times during the day of like we, we, we pull up our phone, our brains are constantly going because we are we are not technically being mindful. We are there's something else that we are doing. So someone that is, let's say, mindful or practices, med, you know, uh, mindful practices, that network is actually activated quite often. Mm-hmm. So um that can spark. So there is a, there is a piece there around how do I get myself to detach, like Dana says, detach from your constant executive functional things that you typically work on or think about to then get in a space where I am 
detached from my external stimuli and able to mind wander a bit and start to activate that default network to imagine, to, to think of me playing Dungeons and Dragons in that environment, right? Um, I even wrote down when I was a kid about that age, I played in a barn loft basketball. So I had a basketball hoop in a barn loft, a hayloft. Uh, but you guys didn't know about my hayloft was that it had 22,000 fans. Um, <laughs> I was a star NBA player. Um, and I had a constant broadcast announcer announcing every single one of my moves and shots. Was it the guy <laughs> you know? from NBA Jam going from downtown? <laughs> Boom, shakalaka. Boom, shakalaka. Yeah. No. So, yeah, I mean, but that's, but that's what I was able to do. I was able yeah. to – I was really mindful in that time, and I was able to create a – total fictional environment while still, you know, while, while playing. Um, so anyway, yeah, that, that to me is always interesting, but again, there's some, a little bit of a science behind some of that. And Jake, when you talk about the executive function, that all takes place in the prefrontal cortex, which we know is the part of the brain that tires very easily. Yep. Right. So, so if you are constantly trying to do things, the executive function type things and you're and you're bouncing from task to task doing that task switching that we talk about that that whole part of your brain just gets ready to shut down just because it's it's burned out it's tired and it needs that type of release and which the and she mentioned that in the in the ted talk but she was interviewing experts and neuroscientists and one of them that she had on her ted talk and she, they said specifically that when you switch tasks you are burning glucose, glucose, yeah. glucose. You're, right. you're spending, right. uh, spending that energy and that thus makes you tired and, and again, not capable of doing the rest of the stuff that uh, allows you to be creative. So how might we, especially in a world where we are now really designing virtual learning experiences, right? Like most of the things that I think most of us are working on as learning professionals are not large in-person gatherings or in-person gatherings at all. And I wonder, you know, how, how might we do a good job of telling this story to our participants to make sure that they do take the breaks that we offer them, right? So, so I'm assuming that we're going to design an online learning experience and somewhere in there, we would want to build in some time for people to Stop and reflect. To be bored. Right? Yeah, to be bored. Exactly. And and build that mm -hmm. in. And how do we effectively pitch this idea to people so that they don't just, oh, I've got a 15 minute break. I'm going to go check on my email right now. I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think there's two things to it. One, it, it's talking to the learner, but also the people, let's say, that are controlling breaks. When Let's say you are doing more of a facilitated virtual session. Oftentimes, breaks are one of those things that typically get, they're lower on the priority list. Right. 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 So I, got, when, I got more content to go through, so we're going to compromise. I, you can have a two-minute break. Just go to the bathroom, right. come right back. We got tons of content to go over. Go yeah, over, right? It's, you, yeah. They sacrifice breaks in favor of additional information, um, which is, that's the wrong thing to do. So it, it's, it's what, like, how do we teach our teachers or facilitators or faculty members to better protect those breaks and actually to increase them even more and more uh, as much as possible. And then use those times to uh, think of those as product and productive and learning moments to reflect, to then almost detach completely and shut off. That's, that's the one 
to the second, which is around the learner themselves, I've been thinking a lot about this too. How do you get people to spend time where they don't touch their device? And it's really hard because again, we don't control the environment. They're at home once they're done, or if they're if it's self-directed, it's all up to them. It's determined by them. But I mean, one thing that I've been constantly thinking about is what are ways to tell those stories, Bob, like you're saying, of the added in science where it doesn't sound like I'm listing all the specifics into what's happening in your brain. It's very clear cut of what can do, what happens when they do some of these uh, tactics and methods. That's one of the first things I'm trying to work on is like how to, how to bring those simple practices um, back to them. Hey, Jake, on that first point, um, I think back to the time when you and I went to the Human Performance Institute and the way that they mm-hmm. handle the breaks. I yep. thought they did a really nice job of providing a reasonable amount of content. And then they said, okay, uh, leave your devices alone. We are going out for, outside for a walk. Right now, I don't know how you do that in a virtual environment, but maybe, you know, maybe there's something to that. You say, okay, get up from your desk, go walk to, you know, another room or upstairs or whatever, leave your device there, uh, play with a cat, you know, whatever it is, and just, you know, come back in, in 10 minutes, just having done nothing but get away from this environment. I, I don't know, but I thought that the, the, the HPI handled it real nice. No, you know, it, it's funny though, Dana, it's like I... That totally makes sense. That all sounds really good in my head. And yet I think we have to find some way to convince our users, our learners to shut down the input. Because even though I'm sitting here and I am believing this and I'm preaching it right now, at the same time, Dana, when you were talking about running and taking out your headphones, I was thinking oh, well, hey, when we're done recording this podcast, I'm going to go out for a run. Maybe I can try mm-hmm. that. And it scared the snot out of me. <laughs> like the idea of, of being out there for half an hour <laughs> without having anything to listen to, like freaks me out. <laughs> Give it a try. Give it a try and report back. Oh, I know. But like, oh, that seems really scary. So one thing, that, and again, kind of going back to some of the science that I was reading too, uh, Creativity is actually promoted more by happy, cheerful, and angry moods, and sometimes of boredom. And again, they need more research on the boredom piece. However, I started thinking about more of that. How do you get yourself even more in a mood? So there's behaviors that each of us as learners have to do. And again, we can preach, preach, preach. Um, One thing that, again, us as a support structure can provide, I guess, for learners is how do we give people time? How do we protect time? How do we protect their time? If if you're a manager, if you're a leader and you have someone on your team, how do you actually provide white space for them to actually learn and, and do that? Maybe they want to get bored, whatever. Sometimes how do we get leaders and managers again, whoever it is, to support that, to say that white space, that time to be bored is absolutely okay. So that's that's kind of one thing, right, that I, that I think of. And then two, as you as a learner, if you do get that opportunity, if you do get that time, um, I, you know, I keep going. I, I watched Hamilton the other day, guys, yeah. The so on Disney Plus, and I keep hearing that, I'm not throwing away my shot, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that scene. And it hit me because I realized that over the last week or two, um, I have been very easily distracted by the news and things that are happening and that just the time suck and I'm not actually using that time in a more productive way. 
So I kept thinking, I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. So if we get time and opportunities that is protected, how do you as an individual take advantage of that and use it more effectively and try to, as much as you can, build habits where I'm shutting down my laptop, I'm shutting down my phone. I actually do use the the screen uh, time you know, amount and see how much you've been on your phone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's sickening <laughs> what you see. Um, your screen I, I time know, was the, up 48% last week. What? So these are, none of these ideas, I guess, are perfect, great answers. And I could prove results and, and say that I've done it personally uh, across my programs. But there's things that I've been thinking about. What can we do to support that protected time? What are things that we can do to build small habits and, and things for people to actually try as learners. Um, and the more and more we do it and the more and more we, they see benefits, the, the benefits, they see results. I think it will take a while, but I still believe that it can happen. So Jake, one of the things you mentioned earlier was the whole distraction idea. One of the people that was in that podcast, uh, the, one of the neuroscientists that was quoted was Dan, Daniel Levitin. And he, uh, he had a line in his, one of his books, it said, distractibility is the enemy of memory encoding. And I think that's part of what we're talking about is if you're easily distracted uh, going from thing to thing, then then you just don't have the time to deeply think and have, make some of those neural connections to make lasting memories. And it might be that you know when you're bored, you're less distracted and it allows or facilitates some of that encoding. Right. And, and the reassembly of... Uh, of of memory traces. I, I like the idea of maybe creating a, uh, a guided meditation because th- mm. this is all very much in the same theme. Right. And I could see creating an experience like a five or 10 minute long experience where the first couple minutes it's focus on your breath or whatever your point of meditation is. When those thoughts are coming, note them, let them go to the background. Um, you know, just so that you kind of get the practice and are able to flex your muscle of recovering from being distracted, but then pivoting that into a different type of meditation where it's like, okay, now let the thoughts come and welcome the thoughts. And as those thoughts come into your head, just chase those down the rabbit hole and mm-hmm. see where you, where you wind up. And I think you get a lot of the same effect that we're talking about. Yeah. One, one warning on that is I think sometimes as designers, we think if we're going to do something like that, we think, oh, we need to put some music in there. And there's some, a lot of interesting research on music and it, music has different effects on different people. So if you assume that it's going to help everybody, you're wrong. Um, there will be some people who will be completely distracted by it. Others may be soothed by it. Uh, certainly if you're trying to do a meditative state, you don't want music with words or, you know, strong beat or something like that, but if you want the elevator type stuff, but, but, uh, you know, if you're going to design something like that, your best bet is silence or some type of white noise to muffle any Mm -hmm. extract, uh, extraneous noises. Wow. I'm glad that, I'm glad that's what you said, Dana, because when you said one warning about that, I was, I thought you were going to say like one warning about that. You know, if you do that, it might make your brain melt. So, <laughs> while you're saying it's to the avoid music, I'm like, melt, I can do that. I can avoid music. The, the meditation app that I use uses um, nature sounds as a background. Yeah, and so that, that can be helpful too. That can be helpful, yeah. So one thing that actually before pre, pre all of this, um, a, a team of, I, of mine have been thinking about ways to bring this into live sessions around 
giving people more time to then figure out one, how do I come back and maybe be more creative? How do I come back and be, feel like I have detached from my, what I'm currently working on. And we, we actually thought about giving people, let's say a thing of cards that show you, here are some tactics that you could do during this break. And this break could actually be 30 minutes or whatever the heck it would be. And say, here's a couple of tactics. Now, what I'm hearing from both of you as you're sharing, and even myself, I'm realizing that not everything is going to be a full blanket that it works for everybody, mm -hmm. right? right? It is a, there's a lot of choice and a lot of different uh, preferences that people have. Um, and it works for some, works for others. But what I'm wondering is that what we, what we did the, this idea, we thought, let's give them some cards and some things to try. And in this experimental 30 minutes that you have for this longer break, try them out. Try one, pick one, see how it feels. And when we come back, we're actually going to spend some time reflecting on it. Because what the idea was is that what you learn about yourself through that specific activity might be something you take back at home and say, you know what, this tactic actually worked well. So what we're going to do over the last, over the series of a couple of days, we're going to dedicate time to have people try those different techniques. So basically when you come home, you learn what you've tried at the, you know, used in-person learning time to see what works, see what doesn't work. And hopefully you can start to build some of those habits and use some of those tactically going forward. That'd be fantastic. Well, hey, looking at the clock, we're about out of time. So this has been a great conversation. Not as boring as we thought, but it was kind of <laughs> intentional. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for being here. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So feel free to, to reach us on LinkedIn and share what the sparks in you, any additional ideas. Um, I know I'm going to go out and try the Bored and Brilliant Challenge myself that Manush Samarodi talked about. Uh, if you Google her and Google that, you should be able to find it. So we'll see what we can learn from that. Uh, but with that, we will bring this episode of The Learning Geeks to a close. So on behalf of Jake and Dana, thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks for listening. Thanks everybody.